Tone Benders, the Sound Designers Podcast. Here are your hosts, Timothy and Renee. Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, it's Tim Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? I'm doing good. Excellent. And joining us also, it's Tim Farrell. Hello. How are you, how sir? Are you guys? I am well. How are you guys? Uh, just to spell it out here, Tim has worked on The Walking Dead for a, for a good long while now. He's also worked on Star Trek Discovery, Longmire, Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, and films like Crash and Hercules and a whole bunch more. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Renee underscore Coronado, and Tim is at Azimuth Audio. Excellent. Welcome, Tim. So with that out of the way, how are you? Uh, which Tim? There's two Tims. <laughs> oh, there's two Tims. We gotta, we gotta figure that call out. Me, call me Pasquale for the rest of it, and he can be Tim, okay? Pasquale, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can be L.A. Tim, I guess. Tim, yeah, L.A. Tim. How you doing? <laughs> In Toronto Tim. Yeah, I get the yeah, we're doing Yeah, we're doing three time zones today for sure, so that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's always fun. So, Tim, L.A. Tim, uh, tell us how you got started in the business. That's how we kind of like to hear how everyone gets into the business. Um, well, I went to USC film school and, um, I had a teacher there, Don Hall, who really just kind of sparked my interest in sound. And it was, it was, it was actually kind of funny when I, when I went to film school, I said, uh, as long as I don't end up as like a sound editor in television, that's pretty much the only thing I don't want to do, which of course <laughs> is now w- what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but you know, the things have changed so much since then that I'm super happy to be here, you know, doing, doing what I do. Uh, so yeah. where and then uh, yes, mm-hmm. where are you working out of mostly now? So I'm uh, I've been at Warner Brothers for ten years, and um, yeah, I started off at Sound Deluxe, and then went over to Tadeo and got involved in their TV department, and then uh, from there, uh, one of my uh, supervisors I was working for took me to he went over to Warner Brothers, and I, I went with him, and we've been there ever since. That's great. Yeah, Warner Brothers is a really cool stage. Uh, it's a cool facility. And, you know, yeah. we actually at Dallas Audio Post, we do a fair amount of ADR that goes over to, to your stage. And so it probably yeah. it blows right by you, but but we uh, we have a good relationship with you guys. So it's always oh, awesome. Yeah, it's fun to fun to meet people that we all kind of pass in the hallway in the dark in the, on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever whenever I'm doing ADR, I, I may, maybe I've gotten some of your stuff. <laughs> Mostly I handle the effects, though, these days. Mm-hmm. So what's that like? What's your what's your day to day like as you're doing the as you're doing the Walking Dead there? Well, so to be clear, I left Walking Dead at the end of season seven. So uh, at this point, I've I've moved on completely to Star Trek Discovery because there's just not enough hours in the day to do two shows anymore. Um, so yeah, I mean, as the sound effects editor, it kind of changed a lot over the, over the different seasons. Um, at one point, I uh, well, towards the last few years, I was actually embedded in the picture department, so I would drive into the picture department and find out kind of kind of as, as a way to basically try to get ahead and try to get scenes early and start working on them so that when they finally did picture lock, we would have more more of our sounds in place, more more of the, the, the finished product. They, they actually build up their OMS really big in their avid tracks. So they have a, they, there's a lot of sound and fully and just small, subtle stuff that they really build out their tracks with. Uh, early on. So the, the sooner I can get in there with them, the better was kind of my typical walking dead day. <laughs> it was kind of different, but for the most part, it was just get in and find out, find out where people are and what they need help with. That's a pretty common workflow now, isn't it? Like lots of, lots of sound editorial happening on the picture editing side and happening in the, on the, on the avid side before it hits pro tools now. 
Well, I feel like definitely on the picture editorial side, there's more and more demand to have more of a finished um, track. So I think in post-production, we're actually still kind of catching up with that concept. I think there's a lot of hard work going in from picture assistants that, you know, sound editors have to recreate. I mean, in a way, I'm, I'm actually hoping that down the line, I can we can kind of get the workflow adjusted so more sound editors are actually starting with the picture department sooner rather than, you know, after picture lock, once all these thoughts have been gone into it, you know, it'd be, I would really love to see more creative, you know, let's get the guy that we're going to have to do this involved when we're creating this stuff as opposed to as an afterthought. For sure. So you weren't, you came into The Walking Dead in the second or third season, is that correct? I started on season two. Season two. And then you were on it till the end of season seven. So you were on for five seasons. Yes, I did five seasons of it. That is a long haul for one project. That's pretty impressive. It was, what is that, 92 episodes, 93 episodes or something? Yeah, yeah that's a lot. Six, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I got up to episode 99. I couldn't, I couldn't make the big 100. <laughs> well, one of the series that I'm working on is uh, a children's animated series, and we just hit episode 100. Oh, okay. So we actually, yesterday we finished the mix on episode 101. So I feel you. I know what you mean. It's been uh, five years of my life yeah. into this one animated series. So I, much, I would have much rather it had been five years of my life in Walking Dead, to be honest with you. But... Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure the, the struggles are the same. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> that show actually literally gave me nightmares, though. Like, I, yeah. I got into season three and I had to stop. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, that's that's like the highest compliment I guess I could get. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I never once got a single, like, zombie nightmare. Or, I just, I mean, I guess when you're, like, in the sausage factory and yeah. seeing all the bits, it's less it's less terrifying. But uh, it's definitely been a been a fun run for, you know. It was, I guess because I'm the guy making it sound so gross. That, yes. That it's, <laughs> right. not, it's not that bad when I get it. <laughs> Well, one of the reasons that I reached out to you to uh, get you on the show is I wanted to talk to you about something that you have a unique uh, perspective on. And it's kind of a tricky subject matter because... There's lots of people out there looking for work. So when someone complains about trying to maintain focus on a job they've had for a really long time, there are probably people out there that would like to smack you in the face uh, when I complain about a show that I've been working on for a long time. So I want to be upfront when we talk about how to keep a long-term project fresh for the next little bit, that we're not complaining about the work. The work is awesome and we're super happy to have it. But it does with anything, if you're working on something for years at a time, you have to find new ways to keep it fresh and to keep yourself invested in it in new ways. And I wanted to talk to you about that, about how you've gone about finding ways to do that. Absolutely. I I would actually like to touch on the the complaining thing, because that was all the hardest part, because I've actually, you know, made the decision to leave. And it was it was so hard because here I am. I'm on the number one show on, you know basically on any channel. Uh, we have all these viewers, we have so much job security and I kind of got creatively at my end. And, uh, and, and I was like, well, how can I, how can I, how can I let go of this? I mean, I was surrounded by great people that I loved working with and, uh, but I just, it's weird. And I was like, how, how can I give this up? They, they took such good care of me. Like, I'm like, this is, this might be the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> That's how I felt. And it was it was actually a big struggle to make that decision. Um, 
Well, take us back to season two. Take us back to when you're starting. How much of the palette is already built? How much like continuing um, new stuff are you bringing? Because at season two, your your uh, your aesthetic is already established, right? No. Yes and no. Because what happened at the end of season one and the beginning of season two is we changed showrunners. Okay. So uh. while there was an established aesthetic with Frank Darabont for season one, we had Glenn Mazzara come in for season two. And in theory, we wanted to maintain what Frank did, but we also, you know, didn't know what his aesthetics were going to be. So we definitely took some risks. I know Frank very much wanted things to be, uh, I remember the beginning of season two, they wanted everything like quiet, 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 everything very, very quiet. And, and, you know, like everything very dead and still, uh, you know, in this apocalyptic world. And, and Glenn actually, I, we found really enjoyed like little things like bugs and birds and, and more life just to kind of, as long as it fit the tone and the mood of the scene. So that was actually something that I kind of changed from season one to season two was I started adding back in more of the life as, you know, after the initial apocalypse, things start to kind of grow again, essentially was, was my idea. So the zombies, uh, have always been the same. It's basically was a group of people, uh, you know, ADR group. And, and we, it was the same group of people. And my boss, uh, Jerry Ross was in charge of them. So he's always, done all the zombie recording and editing for, for the show. I was so zombie vocals, you mean, right? Zombie vocals. Yeah. So the vocals, yeah. the zombies on our show for the most part are actually actors. Uh, we also then would sweeten, uh, you know, there's a, oh man, I, I don't know if I just say this, but Jerry's going to kill me. We've been pretending it's this dog that is his, his, his business partner, Skip Leibsay's dog. Uh, I went to New York last year and interviewed him. Yeah. And, uh, Sweetest guy. Dave, the, the dog. Yeah. Dave, the dog. Yeah. You know, yeah. Dave, Dave was there for the interview and Dave, for some reason did not like that. We put a lav on Skip. So <laughs> Dave, Dave is on Skip's lap with his nose yeah. half a millimeter from the lab for the entire interview. And oh, like, wow. so like D D Skip is, he's an engaging <laughs> talker and saying this thing. And what oh, you hear in the interview is, <laughs> 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 but uh, he would every once in a while uh, start growling and make these really bizarre sounds. And uh, Skip told us that, yeah, the, he's, he's been used in Walking Dead. So he had mentioned that as well. So yeah, his, with this growl and we would slow it. It was always whenever they're eating, he would always go in. Yeah, cool. But we also have. Uh, the actors uh, that come in and there's basically the same, it's been about the same four or five guys for the whole run of the series uh, to keep kind of consistency with, the sh with it. Um, so that, you know, that obviously was something that was established season one and they continued on. But as far as the gore, like I definitely started changing up the gore and, um, but the show kind of started visually changing and it became more something else. So season one's, you know, if you look back a very different, show than especially where it's where it is now it's just to me night and day but <laughs> you know it's it's been an interesting journey for sure so in that space did you spend some time you know continuing to build your palette between seasons or between episodes or just in the cracks or how did how did that work um yeah so basically once you that's the way i always work is i i well, every season I would start kind of with a fresh palette, but each season, each episode would then, you know, slide down an hour in the timeline and I would start the next show and then I could reference things that I'd done before and build upon and build upon. And, you know, I, I really believe that the sound design, you 
take small pieces and you make bigger pieces and you take those bigger pieces and you make bigger pieces and it builds and builds. And as you work and grow in your career, you have these just huge pieces that become colossal pieces, you know, by the time you're, you're, you're working, but you start, you know, everything starts very small and you just slowly start to build up and, and, you know, create your palette. But I, I, you know, you get bored of the same sounds after a while. So you start finding new ways to do the exact same thing that you've done a million times already. So. And, and that's an internal thing, right? That's because I'm bored with this sound more than because I need a different sound for this, right? Well, yeah. And sometimes changing is actually the wrong decision because the sound that you have works really well. And to not to not use it, it's, you know, like I'm sure you've you guys all have your like forever, you know, explosions that you go to. And, you know, you're like, oh, let's try these new ones. Then you realize, well, we're not getting that same transient. We're not getting that same attack. We're not getting that same punch from this new one that, and they're like, and then you get on stage and, and you get the note, this doesn't sound right. And you're like, oh, I know what'll work. <laughs> thing I've used a million times. <laughs> but it, <laughs> oh, I don't know exactly how to solve this problem. I'll just put in the sound I should have done from the get-go. <laughs> I was bored. That's what I get for trying something new, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, and then other times it's just great, you know, but it, but that's that's always that's always a fun challenge. So what was the turnaround, like the schedule and turnaround for Walking Dead? Uh, for I mean, from an effects standpoint, we would have eight shifts uh, for effects uh, per episode. And that did not include, obviously, the zombie recording and editing. So that was for all the backgrounds and for, you know, all the hard effects, essentially. Uh, that was, Eight shifts. So does that mean you split those up amongst multiple people or? Well, when we started, uh, I started, it was, uh, and it was me and a guy named Phil Barry, uh, who's gone on to do a lot of feature work and he would, he basically, he had three days for the backgrounds and I would have five days to do the rest. And then he, at the end of season two, he left, uh, to go pursue feature stuff. And I just inherited all the shifts and moved forward. Uh, so you do it that, that, eight days. Essentially, eight days, essentially. Yeah. And then if we had a big episode or something, we'd, you know, request more days or whatever, you know, some of some of the big season finales that were just nuts. We'd be like, hey, and then you kind of, you know, sometimes you're like, you, you, you know, you barter shifts like someday you're like, oh, this one we went a little over, but this one went a little under and you can kind of kind of make it work. You know, you don't have to, to do any of that. Did you typically have score to work against or were you kind of going blind? Well, we would get score, you know, on the stage. So yeah, we were we were pretty much blind. Um, mm-hmm. Although it was interesting because when it we talked, you know, the, the aesthetics of the show have really greatly changed. If you go back and look at the first couple seasons, there was maybe six minutes of score in the entire episode. Yeah. And now, if you look at it, it's now it's about forty two, forty three minutes, like most TV shows. Mm-hmm. And that's you know changed. Uh, we had a another showrunner change in season three to four. Uh, so he started season four and he, again, had a new set of aesthetics. So, you know, and he definitely likes music a lot more than the previous two. So we show changed again. <laughs> so why don't we talk a bit about what we were mentioning earlier about uh, ways that you would maybe do. You, did you do it mostly between seasons to try and keep stuff fresh or were you doing it episode to episode or? Well, it's usually season. So uh, for me, the biggest thing I did was. um you know, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. So I just basically tried to figure out each way to new ways of doing it, essentially. So like one of the things I did was I think it was season five said, well, I need to learn contact. 
So I sat down and I started creating contact instruments out of a lot of my, cause at that point I'd had a palette. I'm like, well, let's rather than edit everything every time, let's cre- let's start learning how to perform it, perform it. Exactly. So that was, that was a big thing that helped me a lot between, you know, that was really when I was starting to feel, feel bored. This was a great challenge because I knew how to solve the problem of, you know, find this piece for this sound. And it was just like, well, let's find a new way to, to solve that problem. And that really was kind of fun. And then, you know, then, then, then well, that was, I think that season, I, I put them all on the same note. So like one note was one, was one sound every single time. And then I, that got boring pretty fast. And I started learning like the next season was okay. Let's learn how to like script and randomize so that it's not just yep. the same sound every time. So you don't get bored of it as fast. And, you know, so, you, you know, stuff like that, you start learning new, I'd always get a new set of plugins. I try to find a new, um, like new gore libraries would come out. And I'd be like, oh, cool. I'll just like start playing with these new sounds and try incorporating them and see, see what happens there. And so that was, that was the big thing for me was really just finding new ways to solve the problem. Obviously the change of aesthetics from the different showrunners helped change things a lot too. Like the way that they liked their punches or the way they liked, you know, a lot of things would, would change and, and, uh, from season to season as, as things would change sometimes. Uh, and even then they, they like, I know Scott, I don't want to, he, he's his, his aesthetics and opinions on how he likes things would, would change too. So we actually had a, a, a lot of the battle season four on was figuring out what he wanted and how, and try to try to try to predict that. And that actually became a, a pretty regular challenge, which was, which was kind of interesting, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we figured it out for the most part. So when a new showrunner came in, you're screening with them regularly. And then I assume as the more episodes get in the can, you're seeing less of them or, uh, well, he would never show up until we got to stage. Okay. He was, he was very, very busy, uh, with, cause he was, you know, the head writer as well, you know, so he was, he was very busy and he would be on, on set a lot. So he, he basically would fly back just for the mixes. Um, okay. So he would be involved in the picture department, kind of hand it over to us and let us go. And then he'd come back and, and, and watch it down and kind of give us his, his day of notes that we would try to figure out and get through <laughs> on stage. But that was usually, yeah. So he was watching on stage with completely fresh ears watching with ears you know what i mean uh like he he didn't you didn't send him a premix or anything like that every now and again if there was this very specific scene that he wanted to hear something i'd i'd, I'd send it to him but uh, honestly he would watch it on like an iphone without headphones or anything yeah. or like an ipad and he really had no idea what what he was hearing from what yeah, I heard. Yeah, that's a great so. way to get your uh, your work critiqued, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> so we'd get on stage and it'd be the same thing. And he'd be like, what is all this? <laughs> you know, whatever it is. This sounds different. I'm like, well, yeah, a little bit. I think I know why. But, you know, it's a sound, a sound editor thing. So how many changes were happening when he's coming into the uh, the stage? Um. You know, a lot of his notes were music, music related. Okay. Um, a lot of what he, he was kind of has a similar aesthetic more to f- what Frank had, where he doesn't like to hear things like Foley and he really, he likes a more, uh, that kind of, he, he's very sensitive to high pitch stuff. So we have to, we had to be really careful. Anything above like, I don't know, like 4k, he would just like, what's that sound? What's that sound? You know, footsteps take like gla- someone setting glasses down would be like too bright for him. So we really had to be careful not to let anything bright through. Um, 
And so, yeah, like, you know, punches couldn't have bone cracks or anything. And then they all had to be real low and thuddy. And it was just, it was, so he would, he would go through and we, um, you know, in all honesty, I half the time had no idea what was going to make him bump. So yeah. we would just sit there and watch and go, <laughs> oh, it's this, this time. Okay, cool. And we'd have to go figure it out or redo it or what, whatever it was. So your edit suite is in the same facility as the mix stage? Well, yeah, I have an office at Warner Brothers and the mix stage is also at Warner Brothers. Um, and then later in later seasons, I'd also set up a set, a separate editing room in the picture department. So when we weren't on stage, I would be at the picture department working, um, as I'd mentioned, which was just and a lot of that came from try because Scott would go through so much with the picture editors that I was trying. I was like, well, he's hearing all this stuff on stage and bumping and it's bumping him. Well, let's get it in earlier. So that's where I, where I took the initiative to be like, listen, to start figuring this out. But I'm going to show up and start, you know, give me some scenes that are early or that need work or that need like sound attention and let's get the right sounds in early. So as he's listening, uh, he can hear stuff and approve it. Um, and that worked maybe 4% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, he gets there and, you know, I just remember there was this one cut of this big, it was, we called it the zombie car wash. And, and I'd cut this engine for this car that had a real, a lot of character. And we, and I think we went through this sequence. This was in, it was on their way to Alexandria. So I think it was season five. And they, and I mean, he, we, I revised this thing so many times with all the different cuts. And then we finally get to stage and we're watching and goes, what is this weird sound this car is making? <laughs> and I'm like, well, the sound that, that we established and put in, you've heard for the last like, two months. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. We, we need a whole, and I'm like, well, the whole thing is this big car driving around <laughs> and I thought we were good. So then I had to recut the whole car from scratch and I had like, you know, just was the end of the day. And I'm like, oh boy, we got a print master tonight. Well, it would have been nice to know this, you know? kind of thing but it's okay you know this is that's just nature of the beast you know yeah that's that's, that's our so our like along thing. those lines talk a little bit about the tools that you were using you know in addition to contact kind of what, what kind of tools were you using to create the sounds and also a little bit about your your work day what kind of you know what kind of hours were you keeping when, when were you walking in when were you going home um well uh, I, I would, I usually work about 10 to eight, uh, whatever the, you know, I'm union. So 9.7 plus our half hour to an hour lunch, depending on whatever. So I try to get in around 10 and leave around eight. Cause I live far from Burbank. I live in Venice beach. So it takes me an hour to get in. And if I leave a little later, it takes me only 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of, kind of my day and my hours. Um, uh, sorry, start over. What was the, first uh, talk about your tools. What kind of tools were you using to, to do your work? Um, most just pro tools, mostly I, um, pro tools and then, you know, a variety of plugins. Uh, I really like a lot of the D McDSP like, uh, compression. Um, so I use their 60, 30, like basically on everything in that show. Um, but yeah, it's mostly just fine. It's for me, I'm really a big believer in finding the right sound and not, you don't really need to tweak things too much, especially that show also is very naturalistic. So when you start like really processing things and getting the sound of plugins into, recordings it tended to not fit in with the aesthetic of the show you know now i'm now it's the opposite now i'm on star trek so it's <laughs> like as much of the character of the plugins go into the, it's part of the signature sound of the sound right you know but but i really would try to just keep things as natural as i can or just you know it's it's all about 
just spending the time to find the right sound in the library. Um, you know, uh, so pretty, I'm a pretty standard setup, I guess. I kind of think of it as when I, when I was a kid, I used to play with Legos. Like I loved Legos and I had this giant drawer just full of like, I don't know, hundreds and thousands of Legos or whatever they are. And I would build these, whatever I was building. And I would have to just, you know, I'd open the drawer and I'd reach in and I, I guess my drawer in this case is sound minor. Mm-hmm. And I would just dig, dig around and try to find the piece that I need. And, Oh, here it is. Okay. Put it on. And then I go back to the drawer and that's, that's kind of how my process is, I guess now, which is, you know, sound minor has, I've got, I don't know, like 14 terabytes of sounds on my little raid drive. And that's a couple, and it's just one or two. Yeah. 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 And I just go through all that and I just try to find the rights and I'll, you know, and if there's obviously tweaking, I love, um, you know, I used a lot of AltaVerb for design or like whenever we'd go into like head spaces, I'd use a lot of that. Um, I'm trying to think what are my, what are my shortcuts? What are my shortcuts? well that kind of stuff is is good for people to hear you know to to really understand how it's so much ingredient-based cooking and it's less about how much uh you know money you're going to spend on plugins versus you know developing your aesthetic and choosing the right the right sound versus versus you know whatever and and having a high standard for whichever sound you cut in there i I think it's good for people to hear that coming from somebody like you that's been working on that type of show yeah you know it's funny we had some help from um on Star Trek, uh, Chris Scarabosio, who's just this amazing sound editor for Skywalker, helped some, with some of the design on the first couple episodes on Star Trek. And when we got his stuff back, it was amazing to just like see that, you know, stuff wasn't heavily processed. It was just like two or three of the right sounds. And that was it. Like he didn't have to cut it like a hundred tracks wide. It was just like, you know, I granted he was like, oh yeah, here's a spaceship from Tron. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, obviously that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That. That's fine. <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I don't quite have access to that, but you know, it's a lot of like, you know, fun. and I'm a big believer too. And like, if you have like four or five things, bounce it down and just send, send the comp. Like don't, you know, you don't need to have, that's actually one of my pet peeves is when I get stuff from other editors to incorporate into my track. And it's like, here's like 20 things. And like, I don't know, like 15 of them all sound basically the same. (laughs) Like you don't just pick one or two of them, you know, and that, you know, or maybe you have one in the front and one in the surrounds if that's what you need, but (laughs) have them be similar sounding. But I'm a big believer in the, the, you know, as obviously when I started out, I did a lot more of putting in a million, (laughs) million little things, but, and there's a lot of sounds I have that are like, you know, a whole lot of tiny pieces that I've comped. And then I just keep the big, comp and it's like i said earlier you can take those big pieces and start using them and and you don't necessarily need the tiny pieces anymore Mm -hmm. so with the eight day turnaround you don't have a lot of time to be going out and recording custom sounds right you're cutting mostly from library yeah i would say you know 90 percent of that show comes from libraries um uh, i was very fortunate to have access to you know the warner brothers library and the sound deluxe library when I first started. So I was able to build out a lot of, uh, you know, I was never, I'm not like one of those like, Hey, let's just download everything off the library. It's just whatever I've been cutting, you know, I just keep my projects. Um, but yeah, so that, that's been very helpful, but I would try to record a little something as much as I can. Like what, you know, a lot of the, like the zombie, all the zombie, you know, in, in walking dead, there's always a zombie on a fence, like, shaking it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. banging on it. So I went and recorded a bunch of that. Um, I remember there was a, I think it was the beginning of season six, episode one, they build this corrugated metal wall to get all the zombies to turn. 
And uh, living in Venice, I found this great corrugated metal wall that they built right in the middle of Abikini, which is this big walk street and there's a million cars on it. So I got up at like four in the morning, one morning and I went out and started banging on this wall and, you know, recording it. I'm like, is cops coming? I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, got away with it. You know, so I definitely, you know, there's definitely when I can, um, I definitely, whenever I could, I love, you know, I got my little recorder and, um, so one of the things I would do is between seasons is I, I would usually travel, um, rather than, because I knew with Walking Dead was great because I was like, okay, four months from now, I have a job. Okay, well, what should I do? So I, I would uh, travel a lot and take a month or two months. And one time I even went all four months. Uh, I went to India for four months and I would bring my recorder. So I would travel and make recordings. And a lot of those sounds would become signature sounds later in the show. Like uh, all the zombie stabs is just me walking around in Nepal. I was hiking to... Uh, and a burner base camp and snow was melting and there was just great mud that had this nice slap and then a crunch afterwards. So I just got out my little recorder and slap, crunch, slap, crunch. And that's basically, I, and then that became my contact instrument when I got back. And now it's just every single time there's a zombie stab, it's me walking around crunch, you know? So, so there is a lot of stuff that got recorded, but initially it was mostly library stuff, I would say. Cool. You know, and Oh yeah. Anything that creaked or squeaked, I just, on that show, I would just record and, and, and you know, as, as I would experience different things. How do you handle uh, your template for uh, when you bust open a new show? What does your template look like? New episode, I guess. Well, OK, so our stage we mixed on literally had 48 inputs. So I had 48 mono tracks. Nice. And that, that's all I could del- was allowed to deliver with. So, um, that actually was the, and this is where I really started learning how to comp. So I would always have, you know, a series of work tracks that would have all my favorite plugins on or processing chains or whatever they were, and they would always comp down. So what I would try to do, I would say, and I succeeded this maybe 10% of the time would be to edit everything in my work tracks, comp it, and then slide it, slide it down into my delivery tracks. Um, and it was basically that there was an old school they were running on a I think it was a DFC so they it, now they all have S6s I leave the show they all get S6s <laughs> and they got as many tracks <laughs> as they want so it was actually kind of kind of freeing because I didn't have to pre-pan anything because they all that was going to be lost once we brought it into the stage so I, I was really kind of one of the last people to just work in a way where I was just literally finding the right sounds to deliver and, you know, getting the right, the basic volumes and balances. But at the end of the day, I didn't have to do a lot of the, the pre-panning or placing in space that I know a lot of editors have to run into now, which I'm doing a lot more of now that I'm on Star Trek. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was, uh, so my template was, you know, I, I think in food groups, I um, so I, a lot of people I work with have kind of, they would do like 18, you know, monos and what is that? 20 or whatever, however many stairs are left over. But I I like to keep more like for me, my template one through 10 was miscellaneous, miscellaneous doors, you know, all that kind of stuff. Then uh, vehicles and gore was, was the twenties. And then the thirties was crashes, impacts, fights, that kind of stuff. Uh, forties was explosions, design, bigger kind of thought stuff. And then 41 through 48 was all our zombies. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, yeah. So we kept it pretty, pretty lean, uh, which was, 
I don't know. It really, it really teaches you a lot to know that you can't just add another track and make it work. I feel, um, and it really forces you to make some decisions. I, you know, yeah, that's great. And, and so like, as you step into a big library, I mean, you said your library is four terabytes and you're also stepping into, you know, the Warner brothers library and, you know, all these other big libraries that have been developed by dozens of people over years. Um, what's your approach to familiarizing yourself with, with what's in there and what's good and what's not like, how do you, uh, how do you even step into a big library that, that you, that you're, uh, that you're new to, I guess. Uh, well, my library is easy cause you know, uh, I don't, I'm really bad at, at keeping it organized. So when I see a lot of the sound, <laughs> I know it's probably pretty good cause I've used it a lot. Um, I don't, I, you know, I've, I've changed, you know, when I first started out, it was just find as many things that could work as I could and then import. And then I had was kind of, that's kind of how I built my library. And then now it's more like once I've, you know, you get to the point where you have a, basically it's just kind of confidence. Where you're like, Oh, I know this is the sound that'll work. So I kind of just can quit. Um, and now I'm, my process is more just, I kind of like going at it blind every time. I kind of like just coming up with words. So you start learning, I guess it's keywords, you know, you kind of learn how people think. And a lot of these libraries, they've all kind of got the same sounds in them. You know, as you go through them, it's not like, <laughs> you know, they've all got the sound ideas. They've all got the, you know, so, so you start learning how to find your, you know, your favorite sounds, you know, like, you know, the, the, for me, like, I, I love the, the 5033 Suburban is like my go-to, like, you know, uh, whenever I need a big V8 truck sounding thing, I just type 5033 and any library and it'll show right up, you know, what I mean? and, you just, <laughs> and you start learning things like that, you know? So, so yeah. the question I have for tone benders, Tim here is, Oh yeah. What a <laughs> the Canadian Toronto, team. Tim, Toronto, oh, okay. Tim, <laughs> Pasquale. Toronto. So as you're hearing all of this, like, like what's familiar, what's different? Like, like as you contrast, you know, uh, what, what Warner brothers Tim, or LA Tim <laughs> is doing here. <laughs> To your own workflow, your day to day, as you're working on on one show for for five years, you know what's what's familiar, what's different to you. Uh, a lot of it is uh, familiar, but I'm actually one of the reasons I reached out for Tim is I'm in a rut and uh, I'm trying to uh, work my way out of it. And uh, I thought that Tim might be able to give me some sweet inspiration, you know, uh, but. <laughs> Tim has an advantage, L.A. Tim, has the advantage of there's four months off in between seasons. This show I'm working on, it's 26 episodes on a two-week cycle. So it's uh, one year. It works 52. So, uh, like, I've been working almost literally nonstop for uh, four, four, coming up on five years. Yeah, January will be five years on this show. Uh, there was one point where there was a two-month break, but since other than that, it's been nonstop. And... At times, it is crushing in the uh, when you wake up in the morning and you know, okay, I just finished this episode. Oh wait, it's the same goddamn dogs again. It's a show about little puppy dogs. Uh, so my nieces watch it. Yeah, it's it's called Paw Patrol. I think I've talked about it on yeah. this podcast before. So uh, it's well, I call it I call it uh, you know Papa Troll just to just yeah Paw Patrol. Like, I don't see any trolls in this. Just, just a bugger. Uh, so yeah, so some of the things he's talking about, like between seasons, the, the good thing about the show I'm working on is each season they, to sell more toys, introduce a bunch of new vehicles. So I have to then come up with a bunch of new vehicles, sounds, and, uh, I'm running out of vehicle sounds. Uh, actually I had an interesting thing that's kind of cool 
we, my, the mixer, this guy named Richard Spence Thomas and I, we discovered the joy of distortion on vehicles recently because I've, I've just been running out of good, as Tim, L.A. Tim was saying earlier about finding the right sound to begin with. I'm running out of right sounds for these giant, stupid vehicles that they keep throwing more at me. And so I cut, the, they have this boat now that, uh, I'm trying to think if this episode's aired yet, I'm not giving away anything. Yeah, no one cares. No one that listens to this cares. It, it, there's a giant boat. Spoilers. Yeah, season four has a giant boat, and towards the end of season four, you learn that the giant boat is an uh, uh, amphibious vehicle, and it can go up on land, and these two like multi-story high sets of wheels come out of the bottom of it, and it drives up onto the beach and into the jungle. And I've this is like the fourth very large vehicle along these lines, and I'm running out of sounds to make these vehicles, so I cut something that uh, half of me was hoping would work and the other half of me knew wasn't going to work. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, come on, bail me out of this, Richard, the mixer. And uh, he started, pulled up the faders, got to that scene, and he's, I, I get, I work uh, down the hall from him is where my edit suite is, and we have a, a chat program that we can talk back and forth, and I'd get my thing beeps, and I, he can, he's like, this is not working. So I come over, and we're talking about it, and we just came up with the idea to put distortion on it and see how it would work. And it, made, it, it worked. It brought it to life. All of a sudden, this big vehicle that I'd used too many low sounds, it was bringing up uh, harmonics with the distortion that were in higher pitch. And it made it work, and it made it kick ass. Like, it was super cool. And uh, so now I'm doing that in my edit sessions and starting to put some distortion into things to make them bigger. And, like, it's not like we... Obviously, we're not the first people to come up with the idea of putting distortion on stuff. But uh, I follow very much the same... Uh, workflow or uh, way of thinking as L.A. Tim just said about how you want to find the right sound and put it in uh, and so I didn't do a lot of distortion to the big vehicles but now I'm playing around with that a lot more and that I found to be uh, something really cool to work into uh, and just kind of something new to me not even new to me I've put distortion on things before it's not inventing the wheel but uh, in this context I, I've really enjoyed uh, playing around with that in the last couple of weeks it's been fun so yeah. that's something. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I just, uh, I'm not at the point. The other problem with this show, this Paw Patrol show that I'm working on is I'm technically I'm credited as a sound supervisor, but I'm doing all the sound effects for it. Uh, someone else is doing ambiences. Someone else is doing feet and someone else is doing dialogue, but, uh, I'm cutting all the vehicles and all the vaudevillian kind of cartoon zings and all that stuff. And the way that a lot of these vehicles and they, they all transform and stuff like that, I'm the only one that has ever cut that. And there's no one that can cover for me. So I can't really go on vacation because that information kind of only exists in my brain and my templates. And uh, that is also a pressure. Like, I can't get sick, you know? And it's beaten the hell out of me, to be honest with you. I'm hoping the producers of the show aren't listening to this. <laughs> So, so how does that get handled in LA? I mean, clearly sometimes, you know, like, like you're doing right now, you step off the show, someone else has to step into your shoes. I'm talking to LA Tim now. Like, so I've actually just went through this. Um, so I started up on Star Trek, uh, this summer and July, and I was just getting deeper and deeper into creating all the, this, that, and the other, the beeps and the making them all, you know, and they were all in my head. And then, um, at the end of August, uh, my girlfriend was diagnosed with, uh, well, she, she already had been, but it, it came back. She has a tumor in her spinal cord. 
uh, an astrocytoma is very serious um, and it had started growing again. So I suddenly, I mean, I spent all of September, um, she was in the hospital and I would go to work and then I would go to the hospital and spend the night with her and then I go back to work and then I go in. And at the end of, um, the, and in the beginning of October, she, we, she ended up getting the surgery in Tampa, uh, Florida. So she could fly out there and, uh, needed to do, uh, because there's only one surgeon in basically the world who could do this without paralyzing her, uh, this operation. And so I came to a point where we were literally, we had episodes five, six, seven, eight, and nine mixed every week. It was, you know, every, well, it was a four day mix. We'd have three days off and another, the next four days were on mixing. So there was literally no way I could do this. Like it just became impossible. And I had to just give up control and hire guys and be like, I'm so buried between what I currently have to create and what I have to do. And so here's some, here's our mix sessions. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it kind of started off that way. Cause I wasn't original. I was just originally planning on just killing myself to get the whole thing done. And, and you know what happened was they did their stuff and I would get it and I'd be like, Whoa, that's not the right beep, but I don't have time to fix it. And I let it go to the stage. And you know what? Nobody noticed. <laughs> like I'm hearing stuff in my head and like, like thinking, Oh God, that's, Oh, I hope this goes. And everything flew by just fine. You know what I mean? And, and I started to learn like, okay. And this was a huge lesson for me, which is, you know, like it's okay. You got to like, just, it's okay to, to stop and learn and like let someone else do something sometimes because otherwise you're, you can't, you know, there's more important things in life <laughs> in a way, <laughs> like being there for your girlfriend, which is having spinal surgery because, yeah. you know, so, uh, yeah, so it was, it was definitely hard. Like I, I, I know we're supposed to be talking about other stuff, but like that was really hard and it was a huge lesson of like, it's all in my head. Like it'll, it won't sound right. It's not going to match. And like, and then at the end of the day, it's, it's sound and it's okay. It's like, and just cause it's not the way you do something and maybe it's slightly yeah. off or slightly wrong, but you can always fix it. You know, if they do something wrong, you can say, Oh no, Hey, look here, try this, do they, I mean, you know, take some time to review it, but you just, you just, you find a way, you know, like, so I would say for you, you should get some help and yeah, learn right? how to do that. Well, I had to do that <laughs> no when, offense. yeah, no, no. Uh, when my children were born, I had to do that. I had to figure out a way yeah. to get to people because uh, my wife, for some reason, wanted me to be part of their birth and be a part of their lives. So yeah, weird. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had to, had to take some time off for that, but uh, yeah, you're right. I got to stop being so serious. That, well, that's the real yeah. thing, though. It's like, you know, even if it's not going to happen exactly the way that you would have done it, it'll still happen one way or the other. The show will still hit the air, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's just about yeah. coming to um, coming to acceptance with that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So how I mean, are you liking Star Trek uh, beyond the medical issues with your family there? Well, uh, creatively, I couldn't be happier. I mean, it's 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 so much. I mean, there's so much creation every week. I mean, I'm just, I mean, everything is, uh, I, I, you know, I can't, I'm not one of those people that likes to recycle sounds. So like for me, I, I have to kind of create everything from scratch if I, as best I can. Uh, I mean, once I've established something, yeah, then I'm ha happy as I'll ha get out to, to, to repeat it. But, um, 
so it definitely, I mean, it was, it was really a lot of growing pains to try to get that show up and running, but now it's, 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 you know, it's, it was fun. You know, it's, it's exactly what I asked for. And it's, you know, when I'm leaving walking dead, I was like, well, I need some, you know, I can't, I can't do any more gore. I got to just, I would love to do like some crazy space show. And then this fell in my lap and, you know, it's one of those, be careful what you wish for is because now it's, I mean, it was, it was nice. Something about being in the seventh season and being able to get your days in a normal kind of 10 hour day is, is really nice compared to hitting the end of the day and then realizing that you just did not get nearly as much done as you wanted because you still have more to create and you're, you know, it's, it's that kind of, kind of thing constant. I, I, I wish, I wish I had way more time to, to do more and create more and, you know, not having to just, okay, move on. But that's also healthy too. working TV. You got to learn when to, yeah. when to move on. So you stepped into Star Trek from the very beginning on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it's an established franchise. So there is, there is certain uh, aesthetic that's established and, but then you're also creating a whole new palette from scratch. So how did you balance that? Like, what was the approach there? Well, we got uh, a lot of the original sounds. So I would use those as kind of reference. Um, and I, and our, our universe takes place in, um, you know, it's 10 years before the enterprise, but I think it's the enterprise from the new set of movies. So it, you know, there's, it's a whole, it's, it's this whole new kind of universe, but, um, you know, Alex Kurtzman, the, the showrunner, he wants us to put in as many, like he likes us to pay homage and do all that. So it was a lot of fun for me to take you know, to, to try to find original, a lot of what I would do is try to find an original sound for something and then twe- tweak it or twist it to make it old, but new so that there was a lot of, you know, reference. And, you know, we, I don't know, there's like tribbles in it. So I went and got the original tribbles and put them in, you know, because there's, there's the tribble, you know, like that's nice. what it should be. So that's a lot of fun. Um, but then other things, you know, like all the phasers and the ships and that's all, that's all new action, you know, all that kind of stuff. Were you bestowed so, a classic Star Trek sound library when you started on it? I was. I was. Uh, I was bestowed the CBS tra- uh, library. And then I'm actually good friends with a, another sound guy, uh, a sound supervisor, designer named Mark Mangini, who is. Yes, he was on the last episode yeah. of our just podcast. So, yeah, we just. Yeah. Rocked. So, you know, he's a great guy. Uh, he, um, so he actually sent me a lot of, he worked on the original Star Trek movie and had a bunch of their like raw stuff. So he sent me a bunch of that stuff, which was really fun to go through and hear like, you know, here's the transporter, but now here's the, like all the other takes that didn't work, like leading up to it, which is like, you know, wow. a lot of kind of feedback loops, you know, so. And then I've actually been able to use some of that to put back in the series, which obviously no fan has ever heard before, but you know, it's just fun for me to know that that, you know, these original sounds are still existing in the show, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. So from a creative standpoint, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, it's definitely a cure for <laughs> doing the same thing again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be at least 12 <laughs> seasons of this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's definitely been, you know, it's a totally different kind of challenge, uh, 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 uh it's not no monotony, really. It's, it's mostly terror and uh, <laughs> terror. Mostly it's terror. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Tim. I learned a lot and uh, I'm going to uh, take a lot of stuff you said and try and integrate it into my own workflow. So thanks for sitting in with us today. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome.
Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to Tim Farrell for jumping on with us today. Thanks to Stacey Dupass for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can follow the show at The Tone Benders and go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. You can support the podcast by shopping at ToneBendersPodcast.com slash Amazon or ToneBendersPodcast.com slash BH. That helps pay our hosting fees. Also, thanks to Owen Peters for helping edit this episode. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to Tone Benders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Benders on Twitter or find Tone Benders Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonebenderspodcast.com.